Welcome to the Nurture Hub Pregnancy and Birth Podcast with your hosts, Shari Lyon and Nicola Lay. Together, we bring over 30 years of experience in working with women and partners through education, breathing, mindfulness, and evidence-based information, and nurturing you through this transformation into motherhood. Join us on this journey as we connect with women and partners, mentoring, supporting, and navigating the ups and downs of becoming parents. Hello, hello. Welcome back, beautiful mamas, to another episode. Nicola and I are really excited to introduce you in this episode to Melissa Hayes. So Melissa is a international board certified lactation consultant. She's a holistic sleep coach, a pediatric nurse, midwife and mama of two. And she's a belly to birth mama as well. She did my hypnobirthing course with baby number two um, a couple of years ago. She's also the founder of Cocoon and Cradle, which provides more of a holistic approach to breastfeeding and sleep support. So we wanted to get Melissa in and there's just so much we wanted to ask her. We decided to actually split up this interview with her into two separate interviews. So this interview with her is all about breastfeeding and then the next interview will be all about sleep. So we are so excited to share this interview, give you some insights about your journey for breastfeeding, what you can learn before and the kind of support that you can get from someone like Melissa to help you have a successful breastfeeding journey because it is a journey in its own and same with baby sleep as well. So we hope you enjoy this two-part episode, but enjoying this one to start off is all about breastfeeding. Welcome everyone to another juicy episode of the Nurture Hub Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Today on this episode, we have invited the beautiful Melissa Hayes from Cocoon and Cradle. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. I have been wanting to get you on actually for a number of months because we met through uh, you doing one of my hypnobirthing courses. Yeah, that's right. And I would love to sh- for you to share your journey in where you have gotten to today as a midwife and international certified board lactation consultant is that how you say it international board certified lactation consultant ibclc is much easier easier to use the acronym (laughs) (laughs) and you're also a sleep specialist so this is going to be we're going to actually spend a bit of time with you but we're going to split it up into two episodes so this episode we're going to be focusing more on breastfeeding and then we'll the next episode we will focus on sleep but yeah tell us tell us your story please yeah, sure. So, um, yes, obviously, as you know, I've, I'm the fan of Cocoon and Cradle, which is a breastfeeding um, and sleep support service for mums. It's really holistic and evidence-based. And the reason that I got into this um, is basically because I've got two kids of my own who are now both toddlers. And after having Harvey, who was my first, even more so probably after having half of my second, I just realised there just was not enough support for mums at all. There was a lot of like conflicting and confusing information. And even myself as a new mum, I was struggling. And I'm thinking, well, I've been like a, you know, a pediatric nurse and a midwife for over 10 years. Like I've got a fair, probably more knowledge than the general, you know, person who's just had a baby. And, 
yeah, I just felt like if I was finding it so hard that I'm sure other mums are finding it hard as well, especially with the confusing information. And even, you know, you meet up with friends or you go online onto different Facebook groups and mums are posting just you know, reaching out for support and wanting some, some answers. And they're getting all of these really, sometimes really inappropriate and like unsafe responses back. And I was just thinking, oh, I really just want to help these mums. Like they're just not, you can just see they're just not getting the support that they need. Um, and they're getting yeah, responses to kind of, you, you know, like for example, breastfeeding questions online that could actually harm their breastfeeding journey. So um, I did some further education and became an international board certified lactation consultant. And I've got to um, holistic sleep qualifications now as well and yeah started up cocoon and cradle and have been able to support you know quite a few mums since then so it's been a really nice journey I love that and I love the fact that both come hand in hand the breastfeeding and the sleep are always the two things that you get a bit obsessive about when you first have your baby and you have no idea that this is coming while you're pregnant you're so focused on the birth that yeah. actually when you arrive into that first breastfeeding journey, you're kind of, oh, what is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, obviously it's so important to focus on the birth as well. And as you're saying, Sheree, I did your hypnobirthing um, course. And it was absolutely amazing. And I did have an amazing second birth after doing that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also so important to think about what happens next. And, you know, as we were talking about kind of before we recorded today, it's so important to think about what that postnatal period is going to look like and how you can best support and prepare yourself for that period while you're still pregnant as well. Mm. And that's through education, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm very much like I think many of uh, women out there that yes I only really focused on the birth and I didn't um, get well I I wasn't really encouraged to learn about breastfeeding I think Mm. it was just like you know you'll figure it out once the baby's here but it it probably is a big regret of mine that I didn't learn more after I've learned so much now I'm like we need to be told this before just to prepare just even even to understand Um, and that's also why I promote you to all of my clients now saying, please, like I've taught you about the birth, please don't disregard the breastfeeding postpartum journey because it's all connected. It's not separate. Mm. It's all connected. Um, so you teach antenatal breastfeeding classes or how do you support women? Yeah, in that space? so I've got um, consultations that I do. So I do antenatal consultations where we go over, especially if you've had a previous birth, we can go over your journey there and then how we can best support you this time around um, going forward. So basically you feel as prepared to support it as you can prior to giving birth. So you've got some tools up your sleeves, you've got some extra education and knowledge, you know, where you can get support as well because that's another big factor is that a lot of mums struggle with how to even find support in that postnatal period um so and we can really we go over a lot really in an antenatal consultation but you can do different consultations as well for postnatally too if you haven't gotten an antenatally um but yeah like we were saying earlier as well it's just the worst not the worst it's just a very hard time to learn when you've just had a baby and you're so sleep deprived mm-hmm. and you're bleeding from everywhere and leaking from everywhere and you know if we can get some of that education done while you're still pregnant that's ideal mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, I don't love, I remember it very vividly, having had a really long first um, labor. And then they put her on me and I said, oh, can you just like bring her back in a few hours? Can I have a sleep? And they're like, you actually need to connect with this baby. And then I remember doing it, thinking I was doing it well. Then another midwife came in and changed it again. Then another midwife came in and did the same thing again. And I just remember thinking, 
well, I don't know which one I've got to take. Which 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 opinion do I need to have? And yeah. I remember feeling very confused. And I've heard this a lot since with the with the women that I work with. So give us yeah. some idea about that first breastfeed and the importance of that. That's probably a good question to come to. Oh, the first breastfeed, yeah. So it's, you know, it is so important. And if you can have that like un- uninterrupted skin to skin for that first hour post-birth, that's ideal really. And it's going to allow you and baby to get to know each other and have this magical first hour together and super important for that first breastfeed as well. So often you'll find, you know, if you don't have a, somebody coming in and putting their hands on you and baby, you'll find that babies will actually even do that breast crawl, which you both probably know about where they even use all of their senses and make their way to the breast themselves, which is really amazing to see. Um, so I would say the more kind of, hands off with other people coming into you during that first hour that you can be the better and even I suppose feeling confident that if you know you're having lots of people coming and touching your breast and touching you and the baby just saying like oh it's okay like I just want to you know do this myself and that's really hard to say in in a time period that you're so vulnerable in when you've just had a baby Um, but yeah trying to basically keep hands off as much as possible from other people and just having you and baby skin to skin and you do find that most of the time you know your baby has his innate they have these biological instincts where they will actually be able to find the breast and as well I think if you have some prior knowledge as well of what that can look like and that can make you feel a bit more confident during that first hour too um and then yeah you just want you know you just want baby to be able to use all their instincts and get to the breast and you can support them if needed if you're finding that they need a little bit of support to get there um And yeah, just enjoy that first breastfeed. It doesn't have to look perfect. It's, you know, breastfeeding is natural, but it's also a learnt skill. So it takes time for you and baby to get to know each other. And you might find that it takes a good few weeks. You probably won't get it perfect that first time, but you will get there. Mm. I remember in my birth, I don't even know how long after it was. It didn't feel like that long. And the midwife was like, okay, let's get him on the breast. And she, I was still in this moment of gather. Like I was trying to gather myself of what I had just gone through and bringing my baby into the world. And I had him in my arms and there there was this moment of like, oh, okay. And I just remember her like just kind of putting him on the breast Mm. and I don't know whether that was to try and just speed things up with the placenta. Uh, mm. I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, because I was hoping to have a physiological third stage. Yeah. And I even said that to her um, and she kind of said, I don't have time to wait for your placenta and oh, injected hard. the needle of syntocin into my thigh. So oh, it, I kind of feel like it was, I was in that moment a, a little bit robbed of that, like, let, let me just gather myself. Let me just mm. like feel into this baby that I was meeting for the first time. And I wish I could have just let him, you know, nuzzle and do that breast crawl a little bit, but it, it was just so quickly like taken away from me. And mm. I mean, he did latch and I was grateful for that, but uh, it's just so important for women to know these options and to be able to mm talk about this before the birth with their caregiver and the importance of that being undisturbed for that first hour if possible so there's no rush like there's nothing that needs as long as you know mum and baby are both you know 
healthy and safe, there's nothing that needs to be done urgently. It's not like, you know, that, you know, baby needs to be weighed the second they're born or taken away to, you know, been given the injections or there's nothing that needs to be done really urgently during that first hour. The most urgent thing is like you were saying, is having that un- uninterrupted time together. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask you, can the experience of the birth itself affect that time after as well for mother and baby? Yeah. So you do find that if you're having a really, um, really long, stressful labor. Um, so like over an extended period of time that sometimes it does take a bit longer for your milk to come in afterwards. Um, and similarly with a cesarean section, often you'll find sometimes it takes a bit longer for your milk to come in um, or during birth, depending on what drugs you've been given. So all drugs do go through to the baby to some percentage so sometimes you'll find that depending on what medication you've had the babies can come out a little bit drowsy and that can then affect their ability to breastfeed as well Um, or even if you have had a premature birth or like a late-term birth for example like you've had been booked for a caesar at you know 37 weeks or something you'll find that those late the early term babies um, so they're still technically term but they're earlier you'll find that they still take a little bit more time really to work out what's happening and they're just born a little bit too early um so you find that sometimes you just have to watch those babies a bit closely because they can be extra tired and then they don't get enough breast milk basically like they're super super tired and not feeding enough i think that's really interesting because i was long long labor and um you know and and i had to i couldn't um be with her for four hours after she was born so my Mm. husband did skin to skin but we never, we never had any of, they worried about that. And I kept saying, I don't want to hear that. I just want to be able to just feel into what this is for me. Yeah. It might not be, I don't want to be a statistic. So no. I actually never had those issues with either of my, my babies, but I do know, and, and I have seen that myself. And I guess I just wanted to bring a bit of hope into that because it yeah. is something that gets said, isn't it? Sometimes. And it is tiredness often on the mum's part. I remember being completely exhausted after 27 hours um and just yeah just feeling wow this is this is really a new job that I never anticipated to be this complicated it didn't feel Mm. natural at all for me um but you know I went on to have a a great breastfeeding journey but I think this is the the thing is that a lot of women don't understand that it's such a vulnerable moment isn't it when you're holding your baby and you know that their survival is by the milk that you're producing to give to them and it feels a vulnerable moment, doesn't it? To go, wow, I, I, they're depending on me now. I've, I've really got to pull my socks off and, and make this happen. It's so much pressure, isn't it? Mm, and even like, I would say, you know, no matter what your birth journey has looked like, skin to skin, and if, like you were saying, even, you know, four hours later, however later you're able to see your baby, skin to skin is just so amazing. It's not only is like actually so beneficial for you and baby and it regulates baby's heart rate and their temperature and, you know, calms you and baby and does all of these beautiful things. Um, but it's even really good for your milk supply for like you find that there was a study done where mums who held their baby skin to skin while they were expressing produced up to 50% more milk compared to those mums that weren't. So it's just so, so amazing. So even if no matter what your birth has looked like, um, you know, or you're feeling a bit stressed, just hold your baby skin to skin because it's going to be good for both of you. And then it is going to make it easier when you and baby are ready to have a feed as well. Yeah, we've learned this a lot through Dr. Sarah Buckley, um, who I have attended many of her workshops and talks, and we had her on the podcast and she talks about bridging that hormonal gap and 
no matter how you birth your baby, if the hormones weren't there at birth, it's that skin to skin in the, you know, lots of skin to skin in the days and the weeks after the birth to bring those hormones in. And although you may still be recovering potentially from the birth and may have perceived or feel the birth was traumatic that, and some women may talk about not feeling that connection straight away, but being that persistent in that having a baby on you and encouraging the breastfeeding um, as much as possible. That's what's then going to bring it all in. Yeah. And even like you were saying, like it doesn't, I think a lot of people think skin to skin is just for when you first give birth, but it's not, you can keep doing skin to skin for as long as you like, like mm-hmm. skin to skin is so amazing. All really, as long as you can keep, as long as you can keep going with it over those first few weeks or those first few months, um, you know, even with older babies, if they go on nursing strikes, like it's just incredible, really, no matter what age. Mm. So we, we've, we've just kind of delved into when the baby is born, but um, we're hearing a lot now about antenatal expressing in preparation for the baby. Could you please explain that a little bit to our listeners, how you do it, what the benefits are and um, yeah, how that can help women when their baby is born. Yeah. So um, antenatal expressing is when you can start expressing your colostrum before you have a baby. Um, Normally this is from 36 weeks, but it's important to discuss with your midwife or obstetrician if that's suitable for your particular pregnancy. Um, And there's lots of different benefits to it. So one benefit is that you actually get to know your breast. So you might not have ever really, you know, played with your breast or expressed or done anything like that before, especially if you never had a baby before. So it gets you really familiar with your breast and familiar with actually how to hand express, which is a really good skill to have for after baby's born as well. Um, And then it lets you build up a little supply of colostrum, which you can keep in your um, freezer for after baby comes and there's benefits to that because sometimes babies come out and they are a bit sleepy or they have low blood sugar levels and instead of giving them formula or putting them on an IV drip with some um, sugar fluid going through it you've already got the colostrum there so um, it can be a massive savior for I know a lot of mums who you know especially mums with diabetes who have come out and their babies have had low blood sugar levels and they've got this supply of colostrum that's ready to use. Um, so it's something, yeah, that you have definitely discussed with your, with your obstetrician or with your midwife, because it's something that's really, really handy and really quite easy to do once you get the hang of it. Um, so you can get some syringes from your midwife when you go for your appointment or there's actual antenatal expressing kits that you can buy online as well. And I wish that you had video in your podcast because I'm trying to like think about how I'm doing it with my breasts and how to describe it. Um, but basically, I think sometimes we think that it's like a stroking motion maybe or that it's around the nipple, but it's not. So you want to kind of have your hands in a bit of a C shape and push back kind of around your areola, so back towards your chest wall and then slowly bring your fingers forwards. And then just practice doing that in different motions around your breast and you'll find what works. So you start to see little drops of colostrum come to the end of your nipple um, and you can just practice really getting with that a couple of times a day and collecting little bits of colostrum that way so there was a big research study done a while ago called the dame study and that was more with um women with diabetes but it showed that there was lots of benefits and really no downside or very little risk to antenatal expressing unless you have a very high risk pregnancy um but yeah it's definitely something to think about and consider especially if you're getting more towards that you know 36 weeks of your pregnancy um because it can be so beneficial to have that little stash of colostrum after baby is born. At what stage of the pregnancy does the colostrum or can the colostrum start coming in? Um, yeah. Is it normal to come in early? Like at what, yeah, what stage? Because I think some women also may think, um, I've had some women, you know, early, mid 20 weeks 
and yeah. they're producing, but I definitely didn't experience that. So well, is there a normal? Yeah, so normally from 16 weeks, your body will actually start to produce it. Um, that's kind of the average. But when you get to that kind of 36 weeks and you go to think about expressing, um, you'll find that some mums, even though their body's producing it, some mums won't really be able to express much and that's okay. And then you'll find that other mums express a lot. So I think that's probably good to keep in mind as well, that if you're practicing and you're, you're getting barely anything or not getting much, that does not mean that you're not going to be able to breastfeed or that you're not going to have a good milk supply when your baby comes. It's just that some mums just aren't able to express as much as others. Okay, that's great. Great information. And tell me, there's a lot of emphasis these days um, with tongue ties, which is really linked to the work that I do with breathing and mouth and positioning and how your whole mouth um, evolves. Mm. Tell me what your thoughts are on tongue ties and, and, and what that can be and look like when you're trying to work with your baby in that breastfeeding. Yeah, you do find, um, you know, there's definitely babies that do have tongue ties. That's when all the listeners, if they can feel <laughs> underneath their tongue, they've got a, you've got a frenulum, um, which you can probably feel feel a little bit yourself. So that's when that frenulum um, is restricting basically your tongue's movement and your tongue's function. That's when you might have heard that your little one has a tongue tie if you've got that restricted frenulum. Um, and if that's the case, then usually you'll get an IBCLC to do a full functional assessment um, from there. And then you may be refer to other providers from there but it can definitely interfere with your breastfeeding um, journey especially depending on how restricted the frenulum is you'll find that babies can have some difficulty attaching to the breast and then what happens is that if they're struggling to get a deep attachment sometimes um, your nipple will be hitting the hard palate of their mouth so if you feel with your tongue again you've got your hard palate behind your teeth and if you put your tongue further back you get to a soft palate so we want the nipple to be at the junction of the hard and the soft palate but if you can't get a deep latch, then your nipple's just hitting the hard pallet of the baby's mouth and this can cause a lot of nipple damage and trauma as well, which is quite often what we can see too. Um, so there's different ways and different positions that you can use to try to get a little bit, bit of a deeper latch with baby and that can be really helpful and that can be enough for some mums. Um, and for others, you know, they do go to a different provider like a specialist dentist who can release the tie if needed. Yeah, it's amazing. I've just found out that my seven-year-old has got like a couple of tongue ties, yet she was just the best feeder in the world and we fed till she was two. So I don't feel that tongue ties can be, you know, a a real problem always, hey? Yeah, yeah. it definitely depends. It honestly depends on how how it's restricting your function, really. That's like what it comes down to, if it's really restricting your tongue's function or if it's, you know, you might have somebody who has a tie, but like you said, you know, your baby's fed beautifully and maybe it's not restricting their function much. Um, it's really case by case. Mm. What are some signs for, for mums just to be aware of that their babies maybe not latch latching properly? Yeah, so um, I've actually done quite a good reel. <laughs> just talking myself up, done a good reel on Instagram. <laughs> um, I think just like two nights ago that goes over um, how we can you know different ways that we can get a good latch so go check that out if you are struggling with latch at the moment um but yeah if you're suffering from nipple pain then that's showing us that there's something wrong so if you're getting sore nipples cracked nipples bleeding nipples something isn't right in that you know in how how your breastfeeding journey is going so far so a lot of that times that can be attachment where like I was saying the nipples hitting the hard roof of the hard palate or baby's mouth um so I'd say for mum if you're feeling like you're in you know pain or your nipples are bleeding or cracked or they're a different shape so your nipple should be the same shape when it comes out of baby's mouth as it 
when it goes in. So kind of have a look at your breast and your nipple when it goes in and you want that same shape when it comes out. If it's a different shape, then there's something probably that needs adjusting with the attachment. Um, and then for baby, you want to see that they've got their chin nice and deep into the into your breast. We want to see that they've got a large portion of areola in their mouth and we want to see that the nose is clear or just touching the breast. So if you're looking down and noticing that baby is just basically having a very shallow attachment and he's more so just sucking on the nipple and doesn't have much of the areola in the mouth, um, or if you're noticing that they're, you know, they're just doing very quick sucks and they're not doing um, that kind of suck swallow. So usually they do a cup, they do some quick sucks to begin with to kind of help bring your milk in and then their suck pattern will change a bit and it's more of like a deeper like suck, suck, swallow, you'll notice that they're kind of how they're moving with their mouth and you can sometimes even hear them swallowing to hear them transferring the milk. Um, so you might notice that, yeah, if your baby hasn't quite, if he's just been on the nipple, he's probably not been able to drain as much milk from the breast and then they might get frustrated as well and hop off and have a cry and do all those kinds of things. But I think if you, yeah, if you just focus on making sure that their chin's deep into the breast, they've got a nice, you know, large amount of areola in their mouth, um, that their nose is clear, that there's no pain for you, or if it's in the first couple of weeks, sometimes you find there's an initial discomfort only because your nipples are not used to being sucked on 24-7 unless you're into that. <laughs> so um, sometimes it can be a bit uncomfortable for like when they first attach, maybe for the first one to two weeks, but then that initial discomfort should go away. And it, I would not say that it should be painful per se in the terms of like you see where, you know, you're like, curling up your toes or Mm, that's actual pain yeah Yeah. that was me oh I would he would latch on and my toes would curl in pain and I would just start crying that's when I knew he was he was latched but maybe it wasn't a good latch like I but I didn't didn't know any of this and I kind of just stuck through it and we ended up being okay but I, I did have a flashback of actually the beautiful memory though, the sweet yeah. sounds, you know, when they, and you hear the gulping and then the yeah. milk's kind of coming out the side and they make these little sounds like, um, I just had a full flashback then when you were kind yeah. of explaining that. Can we also maybe dispel a myth of people telling women to prepare their nipples for (laughs) the breastfeeding, like roughen them up and things like that? Yes, please don't roughen your nipples. (laughs) You don't need to, like, I've heard where they tell you to, like, use a paper towel or use, you know, a a rough towel and really, like, rub them to get them to roughen them up. You definitely don't need to do anything at all to prepare your nipples for breastfeeding. Um, Please don't roughen them, don't don't do anything that's going to hurt them because it doesn't help at all. And if anything, it probably makes them worse. <laughs> wow. And, and then the other thing that I know that a lot of women get really transfixed on, and, and I, I remember going down that little, that little path myself for about two minutes and then realised it, it didn't have to really be the case, is the breastfeeding pillows. How many women spend hundreds of dollars Ooh. on a breastfeeding pillow and look, you know, I'm sure that they're amazing, but I just got one from Target, which was just a cotton yeah. pillow and just made sure I was super comfortable. And that's why I realized with me was, and with all the women that I get to see, you know, shoulders up around their ears, yeah. you know, really uncomfortable. They've got all their pain through their backs and, you know, maybe being in a long labor. And I'm yeah. just like, let's just relax and do some breathing and 
get yourself in a comfortable position. Yeah. And we're all about these fancy pillows. So tell me, tell me what, what you think about this. Yeah, like you don't to... you don't need a fancy pillow. The only thing that you need to do is make sure that you and baby are comfortable. So whatever you have is fine, whether you've got like, you know, like you say, whether you go to Kmart and Target and just get like a corner pillow or they've got cheap, like, you know, $15 breastfeeding pillows as well. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on a pillow. You can even use normal pillows. Like in the hospital, we would use usual, like normal pillows. Um, we don't have fancy ones. So yeah, whatever you're going to do to make yourself and baby comfortable. And like you said, working on yourself first. So like having your shoulders down, you know, relaxing yourself with some breath work is perfect. Mm. Um, you know, having some support behind your back if you need it, you know, just making sure that your body is relaxed because what happens is that um, our milk letdown reflex, which is when our milk starts to come out, if we're feeling really stressed, that's not going to happen. It's actually going to inhibit that. And so we need to make sure that our body is relaxed first. And then you'll find that if we're relaxed, baby will also be relaxed because our babies can have these mirror neurons that sense our emotions and reflect what we're feeling so you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on anything really with baby um and yeah just making sure sure that you're comfortable with you know whatever whatever pillows you have at home or yeah whether you just go go and get a cheap pillow that's fine as well or if you've got an expensive pillow and love it that's fine as well whatever works for you but you don't have to buy those expensive things and go on sorry sorry i i I, just a thought came in for me also with mum's allowing themselves to set some boundaries around visitation with family and friends in those days and even weeks after, because I just remember just being bombarded by family and I was still learning how to breastfeed. And then I didn't feel comfortable, you know, getting my, I was like, sorry, dad, you're going to see my breast, you know? Um, and I, yeah, I think I put everyone else's needs first of them wanting to meet the baby rather than yeah. myself and what I needed to allow myself to, to connect in with my baby and learn and, and just relax into it. But it was always like, Oh, someone's coming. I better feed or, um, because I didn't want to feed while they were there because they would want cuddles and things like that. So I just wanted to, to express that because it, it, I went through my first like that. And my second one, I was like, Nope, I'm not having any visitors. Thank you very much for the first couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And it made a difference, huge difference. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I think even I was probably the same as you where I was like, yep, come see the baby. Like I've just given birth this morning, but yep, that's fine. Just come over. <laughs> and it's so important, I think, to just really even though it's hard, but put yourself first and just, you're not going to get that time back. Like you're not going to get that first, you know, week or two weeks back, put yourself first. Just think about what you and baby need. It gives you time to relax and to get to know each other because you, you know, it takes time to get to know each other. It's going to take a long time. So it gives you time to, you know, not rush and not stress and just focus on, you know, establishing that, you know, breastfeeding together. And yeah, I agree. I think, I think definitely take, take time. Mm. And tell me about, um, you know, food and breastfeeding. That was always something that came up for me was, you know, oh, you know, you might have had something that the baby wasn't, you know, the baby doesn't really like, you know, it's causing it to have a wind pain or gassy stomach or, and I'm like, wow, really? Okay, I'm gonna have to really watch everything I'm eating now. (laughs) 
Is that a thing? Um, if your baby has allergies, then it is a thing. But for the majority of babies who don't have allergies, then no, it's not. There's um, no specific breastfeeding diet that you need to be on. You just need to have a healthy, varied diet like everybody else. You might feel like you cannot stop eating when you first start breastfeeding. Yeah. And at least I know I did. I was just like, just kept eating 24-7 and I could not get full. So that's really normal if you go through that period where you just want to eat constantly and just constantly feel hungry. You know, your body is, you know, creating breast milk, which creates a which, sorry, takes our body to create a lot of, <laughs> I've just lost my train of thought. Um, it takes a lot of energy for our body to create breast milk and, mm. you know, support this other human life. And so, um, yeah, so you might be a bit more thirsty than usual. You might be hungrier than usual. That's normal, but you just need to have a healthy, varied diet. You don't need to be eating or drinking anything in particular. Um, unless your baby has allergies or intolerances, for example, some babies have like cow's milk protein intolerance. And then if you take dairy out of your diet, you'll find that you have, you know, a big risk because my second has that um but yeah no allergies or intolerances and just a healthy varied diet is completely fine so are there signs that your baby is potentially um intolerant to to some foods yeah. like what, what are some of the signs if just for women just to be aware of is it that they are more un- unsettled or wind or yeah could you yeah explain? definitely yeah so you know, do definitely find they're more unsettled um and yet can definitely have more wind as well um often a big one especially if it's dairy related is they can get some eczema um that's quite common with dairy or eczema or rashes um and a lot of it with de- in- allergies and intolerances you can find it in their poo as well so if you're having you know mucusy poos or blood in your poos um you know these are all things that can make you think okay well something's going on so if your baby's got you know it's not normal for your baby to have blood and a lot of mucus in their poo so it's worth definitely doing a bit more investigation and maybe speaking to your GP and getting a referral to an allergist as well just to kind of work out what's happening there because um you know it's going to affect everything really if they've got allergies and intolerances especially things like sleep as well so trying to get on top of it early if you feel like something's just not quite right there was something that um, I, I, I'm quite, I don't know if it's just my background in, in, in holistic health, but I remember, you know, I was on my own quite a lot because my husband worked away. I would do the feeding in bed at night time. Yeah. And I remember there were the times when I used to damage, sorry, my puppy is doing a dream in the background. So. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> um, but I remember there were the times when I would do the damage to my nipple because I'm like exhausted, just like kind of semi falling asleep, trying to feed yeah. and then thinking, oh my gosh, like, so I always recommend to my clients, you know, no matter how tired you are, just go and sit in a proper chair, you know, keep yourself warm, but try and sit up so that you mm-hmm. can get the feeling right. Now, I don't know if that's because of my own trauma <laughs> or if that's what you suggest, because I also remember thinking, God, I nearly dropped my kid a few times while I was in bed, you know, trying to make it right and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to do some damage here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think it's really about whatever's whatever's works for you. Like everybody, every family is different. Every mum's um, going to be in a different situation. And I think if it works for you to sit up and you find you can get a better um, attachment that way, then that's great. Um, for some mums, lying down in bed if we can get that attachment right during like sideline breastfeeding can be really handy only because it's a lot more restful um you know and it's 
yeah, basically a, a bit more, bit, bit of a way that you can have a bit of a sleep, even if you're practicing co, safe, safer co-sleeping. Um, and the only issue, I suppose, sometimes, like you say, if you're really exhausted and you're sitting up in like a sofa chair or something, is that if you then do fall asleep in a sofa, it's a lot more unsafe from a SIDS perspective than falling asleep in a safer co-sleeping environment. Um, so that would be the only thing if you're feeling like, you know, you're, you're about to drop off any second, um, it might be safer. Mm, maybe to not be in like a you know you know a recliner or a cushion or a couch yeah yeah and I remember doing co-sleeping and side you know laying side lying it was amazing and the nurses actually really pulled that in for me the midwives that came to visit at home just lay on your side this is what you do don't be scared about falling asleep while you're feeding you know she's safe and I'm like okay I think I've got it now and it was a life life changer for me oh I find if you can get that down packed even I remember after having my second half I was I think I had just given birth and I was in the hospital bed and I was like okay like it was the middle of the night I'm like yep we're gonna lie down and and feed this way because I was so especially I think after having Harvey I just knew how great and more restful it was to lie down feeding and so I think if you can get it down packed early on sometimes that can be a bit of a savior in those first first few months when you're just so sleep deprived yeah I definitely enjoyed it as well can I just ask you just from my own experience is it normal to have an overachiever when it comes to your breath because (laughs) I I can't remember which one it was I think it was my right was my overachiever and my left didn't seem to produce as much like I if I woke up in the morning it was always the right one that was big and hard the left one nothing like it at all is that normal (laughs) yes that's so normal most mums I would say have an overachiever and I'm sure there's everybody listening going oh yeah it was my right or my left I think it was my left actually so I must have been opposite to you um but yeah really normal to have to have an overachiever breast um so what they find is that you've got different milk storage capacities so from person to person, we would have all three of us would have different milk storage capacities in our breasts, which is the amount of milk our breasts would hold. Um, you guys, I don't think are breastfeeding anymore. So <laughs> probably, probably a little bit different now. But um, And you also find, so not only different person to person, but different from breast to breast. So like your, if it was your right breast tree that had the most milk, you could probably hold a lot more milk in that breast and had a larger storage capacity than your left breast. So um, yeah, really, really normal to have one breast. That's, that's an overachiever. <laughs> Uh, I think I've seen, I even posted, um, I think on my Instagram, a story of a mum who took a photo and there's this one, one breast that is massive and engorged and this other one. And I think that then leads into a question. Actually, I had one of my clients asked on my Instagram, when you do feed, do you do one feed on one side of the breast and then on the next feed, you do the other, or do you swap in the one feed? Yeah. So, um, what I would say is start feeding on one side. Normally you'll find that baby will start, you know, getting tired or maybe drifting off. Whenever you think that they kind of have slowed down and finished feeding, you can bring them up over your shoulder and just maybe give their back a gentle rub and see whether they've got any wind. And then you can always offer the second side. So they'll either be full and not want it and that's completely fine. Or you'll find that after maybe they've put some wind up, then they do have a feed on the other side. So for some mums, um, I know for myself, I had quite a lot of milk. And so from feeding on one side, that was enough 
you know, for, for my little one and then for the next feed they would go to the other side. But for other mums, you know, they do feed both sides every feed or maybe even go to three sides. They might start on the right, you know, have a break, go to the left and then go back to the other side again. Um, so it's really just about following your baby's cues and what they're kind of showing you that they need. So I would say always offer the other side, but if they don't want it, that's completely fine. And if they do want it, that's okay as well. Um, and then normally for the next feed, you can work. I know some mums have different habits of whatever they do to know which breast they fed from last. They might put like a hair tie on one wrist and change it over. Um, I would always just literally let go around walking around the house feeling my breasts. And there's a, you can't, you probably see on the video here, but the podcasters won't be able to see it, but I would literally just like feel for the next feed and be like, oh yeah, that one's bigger. So we can start on that side. Um, so yeah, either just have a good feel of your breasts and look like a weirdo walking around the house touching yourself or um, put a hair tie on or something because then you'll know which other side to use. <laughs> I love that. Um, I would really like to know about, and, and it's something that most women sort of hear about, but they don't really understand what that feels like till they're right in it. And that's block ducts and mastitis. Mm. And I used to get these little white, tiny like blisters showing up round, round the side of my nipple and I'd be like, <laughs> and I'd just grab baby, get her to latch and then go, come on, get it, get it going. Yeah. And I'd be massaging at the same time. But I never had mastitis but I've visited many women that are in bed with full shakes, fevers, with the mastitis. Can you give yeah. us some information on that? Yeah, so they think it probably goes in like a continuum, like a line from like having blocked ducts to then non-infective mastitis to then infective mastitis to then a breast abscess. I think that's kind of the line of progression yeah. that happens. And I think a lot of mums think of mastitis as infection, but actually the word itself means inflammation. So it starts with inflammation, which may or may not, um, you know, be infective. And so basically it's kind of a buildup of the milk in your ducts in your breasts and what you'll find is that if the buildup's left there and it's not drained that milk kind of infiltrates into the tissue into your breasts and that's when you've got the inflammation which is known as mastitis so you do have done exactly the right thing and popping baby on the breast and trying to get them to drain that breast because milk removal is the number one thing to do basically if you feel like you're suffering from blocked ducts or, block ducts or mastitis because that's the reason that that's occurred in the first place so we want to make sure that we're really draining that breast well. We want to make sure that baby is feeding more than what they would usually be feeding. So whether that's you just having lots of time skin to skin with baby or playing with them shirtless, depending on the age of the baby. Co-bathing can be a really great one. There's lots of different ways to get baby to feed more than usual. Or if you're finding that baby isn't that keen, then expressing after a feed to make, really make sure that we're draining that breast because we want to make sure that we're keeping the breast as close to empty as possible. So a lactating breast will never be fully empty, but keeping it as close to empty as we can um, and that will really help and then we can use things like you know um, heat packs like right before you feed can sometimes help with letdown and then cool packs afterwards can help with any swelling really focusing on resting which is super hard as a new mum but focusing on what you can delegate to other people so that you can actually rest yourself and you know be eating a healthy diet and drinking enough water and focusing on yourself is super important um, and then generally they say um with the mastitis guidelines that if it's been less than 24 hours and you're using these lovely conservative measures and you're finding it's improving, then that may all you need to, all you that you may need to do. But if you're finding that it's getting closer to 24 hours or longer and you're finding that, like you were saying, like you're feeling acutely ill in bed, like you're shivering and shaking and you're not well, um, definitely a good idea to see your GP because they'll likely start you on some antibiotics. Yeah. 
And I've worked with clients that have had multiple mastitis and then they're just like, my breasts are not good, they're not doing the right job, I'm just gonna stop now. And I always feel so sad because mm-hmm. I think, oh, I don't feel like it's, that's true, I feel like you could be okay, but then I'm, I'd never obviously judge or, or pay my own advice on that because I'm not yeah. you know, professional to do that. But what there are so many women that do suffer with the continuation of those issues. Mm. Mm. So whether it's like um, quite often it can be an attachment issue where baby's just not draining the breast well and that's why they're having these recurrent issues of mastitis because baby's not able to drain the breast for whatever reason. So, you know, whether they have an oral restriction, that's, re- that's you know, restricting their ability to get that really deep latch and actually drain that breast efficiently. Um, sometimes that can be the cause of you having like repeated mastitis. There's lots and honestly lots of different reasons. Other causes are like where you'll probably hear a lot who feed baby on a schedule and space out their feeds. This can be really yes. problematic because then baby's not feeding as much as they need to be feeding and then your milk's building up and then you can get mastitis from that as well. Um, you know, lots of mums even get it from like wearing bras that are too tight or underwire bras. There's lots of different lots of different reasons really. But, yeah, it is. I do also feel for mums that are really struggling with if they do have that kind of concurrent mastitis. But if you are feeling like you're struggling with that, it's really important to see an IBCLC because they're the, you know, experts in in lactation care and support and they'll be able to try to work out what your root issue, what your, you know, root cause is because there's so many different causes. So we need to work out what the cause is for you so you can establish a solution. Mm. What about, um, what's your view on nipple shields? Because I was unaware of, this for my first when I did have very painful latch from you know for the first few weeks and I stuck through it but with my second as soon as I noticed it I was like you know what I'm if I can put that bit of a shield between me and my baby and I only used it for maybe a week 10 days and it just saved my nipples but then I hear people uh, kind of uh, not going off on on women but there's like a real like no don't use them so I don't know, as, as a lactation consultant, like what is your view on them? Yeah, I think they definitely have their place. I just think sometimes they're a bit overused in terms of sometimes if there's a problem, you know, somebody will just say, we'll just use a shield instead of actually looking at what the problem is and trying to identify a solution for that problem. So I think they definitely, you know, definitely play a really, really essential role and can be used really effectively. And like you said, they pretty much saved your breastfeeding journey from like for that, you know, week or 10 days that it was. Um, I just want to make sure that they're not, you know, just um, band-aid, being used as a band-aid to kind of cover a problem rather than try to work out what the issue is Um, but they can be really really beneficial sometimes if you're using them super long term then you can notice a little bit of a drop in your supply Um, so if you're using them just making sure I suppose you're speaking to an IBCLC or you've got a plan in place um, you know so that they're being used for the right reason and that you've got a kind of got a time frame where you can say okay well you know we've come to this point we might want to start you know transitioning off the shield now and seeing how we're going Gosh, you know, there are so many questions. I'm like, my brain's just gone crazy. <laughs> Tell me about, um, it wasn't something that my children done, and especially for my second because she had colic, I wish that she'd taken a pacifier, a dummy, but she wouldn't. Um, mm. So she was only happy if she breastfed. So I literally breastfed for like <laughs> forever um, yeah. to stop her from crying. But I remember a lactation consultant and a midwife saying, you know, please don't use the 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 dummy don't use the pacifier and and you know breast is best no bottles because I was so exhausted I wanted someone to help with it she wouldn't take a bottle she would because she didn't like the feeling in her mouth but there's a lot of controversy about 
you know, bottle, breast, nipple confusion. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I would say um, if you can, I mean, if possible, then if you did want to introduce a bottle, it's probably a good idea to wait till breastfeeding is established. So normally around like the four-week-ish mark, see how you're both feeling. And if you feel like everything's going really well and you're starting to feel really confident with it, then great, that's probably a good time to um, introduce it if you did want to introduce a bottle. So some mums don't want to introduce a bottle and that's completely, completely fine. Um, but if, it, if you did want to introduce one, then I would say just wait till breastfeeding is a little bit more established um, can often be helpful. That's probably my only guide. Um, and then sometimes if you're finding, you know, that you want to well you do want to make it a really positive experience for babies so sometimes offering like a little snack feed in a bottle if that's what you're going to do you can offer like you know 20 mils or something like maybe half an hour after a breastfeed so they're not starving they can play with it and take their time with it and see how they go so you want to make it basically as stress-free of an experience for you both as possible um and then in regards to oh sorry back to bottle feeding if it is something that you wanted to or for example if you're going back to work and you want baby to have a bottle um don't be fooled by any of the media that's saying that, you know, this looks like a breast and it's kind of this weird, super weird shape yes. that doesn't look like a breast at all. <laughs> um, so you don't need any of those funny things that say they're exactly like breastfeeding when you look at it and it looks the complete opposite to what your breast looks like. Um, you just want something with the teeth that's going to be long and narrow because if you think about how your breast is in the baby's mouth, your nipples actually double in size in the baby's mouth and they've got a large portion of the areola in their mouth as well. So you wanted something that's going to give baby a similar latch to the breast in terms of it being narrow and um, longer rather than this really short and wide teeth. Um, and then in regards to dummies, again, it's going to be so individual depending on what family's preferences are and what they want. Um, the World Health Organization doesn't suggest introducing dummies immediately just because sometimes what can happen is that instead of when babies should be feeding, parents will just give them the dummy and then this will kind of placate baby and then they can potentially miss feeds, which can, if they're missing feeds, can then lead to, you know, low milk supply and issues like mastitis and things like that as well. So I would say if you want to give a dummy, that's okay, but just make sure that, you know, we're not doing things like missing feeds because that can, you know, lead to a few complications. Yeah, I'm glad that you cleared that up because it is something that people you know, they feel a bit shame saying that they want to do bottle feeding. And, mm. and I, and especially for partners, my husband was like, I really want to help this time. Can we do it? And my second baby is like, yeah, no way. He's like, <laughs> in my mouth. We spent a lot of money on those things. Exactly. Like you said, this looks like my breast kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and some babies just won't. Like some babies will go to bottles super easily and other babies are just like, nah, I just don't want that. I'm just not going to have any of that. <laughs> We did cup feeding, actually. Then the midwife showed us how to do this thing where you put my express milk into a cup. We would do yeah. <laughs> cup feeding. Actually, it can be messy, but it's actually a really good alternative for babies that don't want to bottle that don't like don't want to bottle feed. And babies, even premature babies, can cup feed. So if you YouTube it, you'll see all these premature babies around the world that are cup feeding because yeah. they're really safe to use, they're inexpensive, they're easy to clean. Um, so cup feeding can be a great alternative if your baby doesn't want to bottle. Mm. My second baby too did not take a bottle at all and I had my sister's wedding when Talia was five weeks old mm -hmm. and I knew that she was I, you know I was in this wedding party and oh it was so stressful she would not she didn't take a bottle until she was almost 12 months old where mm -hmm. I basically was like I'm going away for the weekend she was eating food by then obviously solid yeah. so I wasn't concerned but I'm like you you want something I'm like I need Mama needs, <laughs> mama 
needs a weekend <laughs> off. Um, can we actually bring um, the conversation into understanding cluster feeding? Mm, yeah, definitely. What, so, is that like it's normal? Like, when does it happen? Um, yeah. Yeah, super, super normal. So the first time they cluster feed is probably around day two to help bring your milk in. You might find that they'll cluster feed all night. That's really normal. And then I think a lot of mums then have the issue of wondering if they've got low milk supply around the next lot of cluster feeding because you're kind of, so you'll find that between like four and 12 weeks, babies usually go through this fussy period. And during this fussy period, which is completely developmentally normal, they'll cluster feed a lot. And that's when you can go through the witching hour of the afternoons and the evenings and they just want to be feeding nonstop and they can be quite irritable um so super 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 normal I think a lot of mums think well you know baby's been feeding okay up until now and then they keep four weeks and they're just going through this period of just wanting to be on the breast constantly and being really really cranky with it as well um but just knowing that you know it is a phase and you can always look for other signs that your baby is getting enough milk as well so if you're cluster feeding and concerned that your baby's not getting enough because they're just wanting to be on constantly um, you just need to know the other signs to look for because then that's going to put your mind at ease like you want to be making sure that your baby is doing at least five wet nappies a day in an on 24-hour period so if they're doing that that's a great sign you want to make sure that your baby's doing you know poo so fair Normally when they get to like six to eight weeks, a breastfed baby can switch and not poo as much, um, which can be quite common. But normally under that time frame, you're normally finding that they're doing at least a couple of kind of soft poos a day. You want to see that baby's putting on weight every, you know, whenever you get your usual checkup or if you've had chunkers like me, you can see that they obviously have like three chins and don't really need to be too concerned about their weight. Um, normally like they're reasonably alert and they're fitting into their skin. Um, so there's all these other signs that you can look for that kind of can reassure you that even though baby's cluster feeding they are getting enough milk i love that there's a couple of topics i just want to finish on today as well is the shame around you know deciding not to or really feeling like that's not your journey and it's really hard isn't it when you see with a mum who's kind of tried to do it she's not really enjoying it it's really hard for her and she's feeling this huge shame and like she's failed mm. um, you know how do you approach this for a mom especially for our listeners that are thinking god what if that's my journey and yeah yeah oh it is really hard and breastfeeding you know there's lots of moms that I know that really did want to breastfeed and it just hasn't worked out that way for them and um you know, it's really challenging. And then you go through this period of like grief because you're suffering, you know, this loss of what you thought that you were going to have. Um, but I would honestly say there's, you know, there's no one or one right or no one, you know, wrong experience. Every mum is different. Every family is different and they're going to go through their own journey. Um, and just know that, you know, your baby best, you know, what's going to work for your family best. Um, and, you know, for a lot of families, well, really, I think if you think of like your friends and people that you're close to, you know, everybody's journey that you probably know is going to be really different as well from your own. So, yeah, I would just be sending lots of love and support because it can be such a hard time. Definitely talk to people around you about how you're feeling as well. If you feel like you're struggling, there's a really great um, free call line on Panda, um, which if you Google that, it's like a um, kind of a perinatal resource that is a free has a, yeah has a free phone line to talk to people as well the aba the australian breastfeeding association have a free call center line as well but yeah speak to your friends and your family about how you're feeling because it is a really it's a really tough tough transition and something that you know a lot of mums do struggle with but i would just say that you're doing amazing no matter what way you feed your baby 
I guess that then leads into it, it, like weaning. If they have made the decision, um, what's the best way? Or for for women who have breastfed for the 12 months and that was their goal and they need to go back to work, what is your best advice for weaning? Yeah, so um, so again, super individual with how, you know, what, what circumstances families are in with with when or how they want to wean. Um, for some mums, they do want to go back to work and they think that weaning is the only option. So I would say that if if that's the reason that you, you know, have decided to wean, there are other options to continue breastfeeding while you're going back to work if you wanted to. So I always just check for families that are considering this, just making sure that they're doing it for their own reasons and not for other people's reasons. So I know a lot of mums that have been really pressured by family members and, you know, colleagues and even friends to wean their baby when they've gotten to a certain age. And I would just say, try to block out the noise of what those other people are saying and just ask yourself and think about how you're feeling about it. Um, Because, you know, it's really got nothing to do with anybody else apart from it's you and your baby and your relationship. Um, and then if you've decided that, yep, that is what you want to do, that's completely fine as well. There's heaps of different ways that you can wean really gently. So you might want to start by either reducing the length of time that you're breastfeeding or the amount of feeds, depending on how much you're feeding, especially if you start um, with reducing overnight. Some mums try to do like night weaning first and then focus on the days with other mums it kind of works best to do days first and then focus on the nights. Um, there's no one or right way, no right or wrong way to do it. And I would just say that if you do it, if you've got time to do it gradually, that's best. So basically you want to avoid going cold turkey, but it's just going to be too much for you and your baby. And it's going to be a lot for your breasts as well. So I would just say go really, really gradually um, start by reducing the length of the time. And if you wanted more of a structured plan, you can always see an IBCLC to help with that. Amazing. I love that. Thank can you. I just ask you, cause we've all got them. What's your most embarrassing breastfeeding experience? Oh God. <laughs> Oh, I probably, but um, I think I only had, yeah, I think I was just had Harvey then. Um, I was down in Palm Beach actually, and I was kind of by the beach and um, I thought kind of, I don't, I'm more than happy to breastfeed in public. And I was kind of, was breastfeeding my little one. And um, and then we decided to, I think, yeah, so we finished feeding and I was going to go for a walk with him and I didn't realise I still had my top undone. And so I literally <laughs> had like one of those tops where like the whole top bit kind of folds down. And so I'm putting him in the pram and getting sorted and had like my whole breast out. And then I look up and there's this guy on his balcony just kind of gobsmacked, this middle-aged man just staring at me. And I'm like, oh, my God. That was quite embarrassing. <laughs> and I'm sure there's other people that have literally like fed and then kind of gone about their day with their breast out and not realised till like, you know, 10 minutes later that oops yeah my breast is still completely out (laughs) what about you Shari I think mine was when I was halfway through a supermarket shop and I had a basket of food and thought about the fact that it was almost time to feed and the letdown came in and I had literally dropped the basket held my (laughs) held my press and I just ran out of the supermarket because I didn't want to even see that I was leaking everywhere and I jumped in the car I literally just left my whole little shop just in the middle of the aisle to run it's and that's like such a powerful again realization of the power of the mind-body connection what our mind believes our body believes and I thought yeah I'm gonna to have to get home soon to feed my body was like no right now let's let's yeah. do this how about you Nicola 
I was feeding, you know, when you first have your baby and how the milk just fires across the side of the room. Oh, yeah. And then the doorbell rang and it was a postman and I had, and the milk was squirting out. And I opened the door and I couldn't get her to go on. And he's like, um, okay. And the milk's literally like spraying everywhere. And he went, I can see you're a bit busy. I just put the parcels. That's so funny. Oh gosh. Well, thank you, Melissa. This has been such a great chat. And I can't believe that that it's been an hour already. Yeah, it went so fast. So how can women work with you through their journey or antenatally to prepare for breastfeeding? Um, What's the best way that they can work with you in regards to you being a lactation consultant? Yeah, so if you head to my website, which is cocoonandcradle.com, or you can head to my Instagram, which is at cocoonandcradle. Um, That's got all my links in the bio there as well. So I do online virtual consultations or in-home consultations if you live on the Gold Coast. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your valuable information today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. And we'll put all all of that information in the show notes and we will have you again in our next episode. But thank you for joining (laughs) us in this episode. Great. Thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and that it's helped you on your own journey. We would love it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. To learn more about our individual online or face-to-face courses or be mentored by us for your own birth, please see our show notes for the links to our programs.